Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Today's scripture reading is Exodus chapter 40. Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle on the first day of the new year. Place the Ark of the Covenant inside and install the inner curtain to enclose the Ark within the most holy place. Then bring in the table and arrange the utensils on it. And bring in the lampstand and set up the lamps. Place the gold incense altar in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Then hang the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the tabernacle entrance. Set the wash basin between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Then set up the courtyard around the outside of the tent and hang the curtain for the courtyard entrance. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all its furnishings to consecrate them and make them holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and its utensils to consecrate them. Then the altar will become absolutely holy. Next, anoint the wash basin and its stand to consecrate them. Present Aaron and his sons at the entrance of the tabernacle and wash them with water. Dress Aaron with the sacred garments and anoint him, consecrating him to serve me as a priest. Then present his sons and dress them in their tunics. Anoint them as you did their father so they may also serve me as priests. With their anointing, Aaron's descendants are set apart for the priesthood forever, from generation to generation. Moses proceeded to do everything just as the Lord had commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month of the second year. Moses erected the tabernacle by setting down its bases, inserting the frames, attaching the crossbars, and setting up the posts. Then he spread the coverings over the tabernacle framework and put on the protective layers just as the Lord had commanded him. He took the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant and placed them inside the ark. Then he attached the carrying poles to the ark, and he set the ark's cover, the place of atonement, on top of it. Then he brought the ark of the covenant into the tabernacle and hung the inner curtain to shield it from view, just as the Lord had commanded him. Next, Moses placed the table in the tabernacle along the north side of the holy place, just outside the inner curtain. And he arranged the bread of the presence on the table before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. He set the lampstand in the tabernacle across from the table on the south side of the holy place. Then he lit the lamps in the Lord's presence just as the Lord had commanded him. He also placed the gold incense altar in the tabernacle in the holy place in front of the inner curtain. On it he burned the fragrant incense just as the Lord had commanded him. He hung the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle and he placed the altar of burnt offering near the tabernacle entrance. On it he offered a burnt offering and a grain offering just as the Lord had commanded him. Next, Moses placed the wash basin between the tabernacle and the altar. He filled it with water so that priests could wash themselves. Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons used water from it to wash their hands and feet. Whenever they approached the altar and entered the tabernacle, they washed themselves, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he hung the curtains forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar, and he set up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard, so at last Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle, because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
Now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey, following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This past year has provided a fair amount of reason and opportunity for some reflection. Whether it's second-guessing the way that we've planned services or how we do schooling for our kids or the way that I've used my time over the course of this year, the steps forward we've taken, the ways that we've been experiencing some wearied paralysis and the ways that God has met our needs with such grace and generosity. I've spent some serious time with the good, the bad, and the ugly of this past year. And it was early in 2020 when I got to visit Israel once again and walk in the footsteps of Jesus in the Holy Land, only later in the year to find myself on my knees before the Lord, calling out for those who have suffered illness or who have lost loved ones or who are feeling such dreadful isolation. I've learned some personal lessons about what my mind, my heart, and my spirit and body can endure. And this year has taught me quite a bit about my limitations, which are not necessarily disabilities, but reminders about my need for other people and my need for help. I've learned about how resilient my family can be and how much they've had to grieve with what we've gone without in 2020, but we've also learned joy and simplicity. That it doesn't take grand and wondrous things to make us smile or to lighten our hearts. There have still been lots of moments of laughter in 2020. So much time inside, you can't help but develop some inside jokes. With all of that, there are probably some parts of the year that I will try to actively forget. And I'm not talking about those things that tend to drift away from our memories as a natural consequence of time, but the things that we seek to actively repress, like many of our middle school outfit choices. There are simply parts of this year that don't deserve to linger in my mind. You might have some of those too. I'm thinking, of course, the sheer amount of sophomore trigonometry I had to somehow recollect, or in the days when I probably wouldn't have seen the sun or breathed any fresh air had it not been for me leaving to go to the McDonald's drive-thru to get a Diet Coke. Perhaps you've had days when showering felt more like an option than a requirement, or days when your off-camera part of your outfit was a little more casual than the on-camera part of your outfit. So like an act of forgiveness, I won't pretend like those things never happened. Those memories just don't get to stick around and toxify my thoughts. There were some things I'm determined to remember, though. When I needed God's comfort, God's love, God's strength, or hope, Whenever I needed to know that the love of the Lord exists in this world, for me and for others, God would either show up or move me to where I needed to be. This year was a little bit like New York, New York. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Except for New York is a city so nice, they named it twice. 2020 was a year with so much trouble, they named it double, I guess. But we're going to remember God's faithfulness a bit, and that leads us to our first lesson. Remembering God's faithfulness bolsters our faith. Remembering God's faithfulness bolsters our faith. We got the game Awkward Family Photos to play a little bit during the school break. There were a bunch of pictures that had been shared over the internet that were indisputably awkward. And the goal is to choose a famous movie quote from the deck that best matches what's happening in these awkward pictures. And we laughed our way through the deck 
of quotes a number of times, and then we started using our own photo albums. Maybe it was from when Amy and I were kids, maybe it was from when we were first dating. Regardless, there was awkwardness to spare, and it was still really funny. Those albums carry a lot of memories. And I'm grateful the experiences that have been captured in those images. It's fun to look back and remember the times that were worthy of getting out a whole camera that wasn't attached to your phone, winding up some film, and then going someplace to get the pictures developed. Those had to be special moments because it required a lot of effort to document them. It was fun and it was funny to look back, but I'm also glad that I don't have to live those moments anymore. I'm glad our lives and relationships have grown and deepened. I look back on some of those images of myself and think, wow, I know what's going on in that young man's life, and it wasn't all that smart or sanctified. Those picture captures, pictures capture moments in a journey, and in retrospect, they tell a story about God's redemptive love and the power of grace to transform lives. But if you invented a time machine and gave me the power to go back and relive those moments, I don't think I could. I couldn't remanufacture those experiences or the feelings that came with them, good or bad. In short, it can be fun and even worthwhile to look back, but I wouldn't want to live there. In this passage, the Hebrew people had recently been liberated from Egyptian slavery, and they were just beginning to learn how it is that their Yahweh God wanted them to worship and serve him. The God of the Israelites wanted these freed people to remember that it was by his hand and might that they had been released from the bonds of Egypt. He wanted them to remember the victory that led them to this time of worship, but he didn't intend for them to live in Egypt again. God wants us to remember these things that led us to this point of praise. Remember what brought us here and thank God for them. Those are markers along the path that lead us to praise today. They're great reminders, and it's nice for our minds to visit those things. But we can't live there. And that leads to our second lesson this morning. God may introduce some things to our lives for a season and a reason. God may introduce some things to our lives for a season and a reason. Let's look at the furnishings of the tabernacle for a second. All this stuff was made by gifts that were given by the freed Hebrew people and crafted by a guy named Bezalel who was gifted by God with special abilities to make these things according to God's specifications. And we get this list of what Moses was asked to do to usher in the second year of when Hebrew people started keeping count of the years. And it says, The Lord said, Set up the tabernacle. It was a tent. They were worshiping in a tent. The Hebrew people needed to stay agile. God's work here was a movement, and it was not an institution. God had clear ways that he wanted things done. As we read in the scripture, you hear that repeated line, just as the Lord instructed. But it wasn't a brick-and-mortar operation. Maybe it was designed to keep the people who had become accustomed to the change of slavery from getting too accustomed to the chains of status quo religion. Everything about this could be packed up and moved on down the road. They were instructed to place the Ark of the Covenant inside and to close it off by the inner curtain. This was a place that we've known as the holiest of holies, the inner sanctum. This area contained the Ten Commandments in a specially designed container called an Ark. It was closed off because it housed the very presence of a holy God. and It was too holy for people to have access do we have anything like that in our practice of worship today? I think the closest we have to the tablets of law is the scripture that's opened for anyone to see. 
There's no off-limits part of the worship space or the sanctuary. There used to be. The prayer rail that exists in a lot of worship spaces used to keep non-clergy off the chancel, which is basically the platform space. It's not a stage, by the way. Why do Methodists keep that rail that, in effect, doesn't keep anybody from accessing the chancel platform? In essence, it's because we like a place to rest our elbows when we pray or when we're receiving communion. That's the very practical reason for that modern-day furnishing. Moses was instructed to place a table of showbreads and utensils, to place an altar of burnt offering in front of the tabernacle's entrance. In Moses' time, these were different tables. One was a table inside the tent where 12 loaves of bread were placed weekly. It represented the 12 tribes of Israel and showed the people that they could trust in God's provision. The burnt offering was outside the tent, and that's where sacrifices were offered to God for forgiveness as gifts of gratitude. And today we we use one table. We no longer have to offer up sacrifices because the cross on that table and the communion that we share reminds us that Jesus has done everything necessary for us to win our forgiveness and secure for us a lifetime that is a life that is true, abundant, and eternal. There is no more altar of sacrifice. The sacrifice that Jesus offered was more than sufficient. And Moses was told to bring in the lampstand and to set up the lamps. There were no windows in the holy place. The only light came from a lampstand. Its wicks and pure olive oil fuel were tended by the high priest twice daily, and it was constantly lit. It helped the priest to remain focused so the light of God would shine constantly in that place that would otherwise be swallowed by darkness. And today we have dimmable electric lights and wax candles And those candles represent for us the light of Christ. Christ's presence is always here, but the lights remind us that Jesus is already present. And when we have acolytes to carry that flame in, and especially when they're carrying the flame out, they're leading us back out into service to carry the light of Christ into the world. Moses was instructed to place the gold incense altar in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The high priest would put incense on the altar at the same time that he was tending the candle and oil and wicks. And that was to be a fragrant offering lifted to the Lord at all times. The incense represented the prayers of the people being lifted to the Lord. And we don't so much offer smells to the Lord these days, not on purpose at least. We have kneeling cushions of our prayer rail. That's about as close as our worship space gets to an altar of incense. Moses was instructed to set the wash basin in the tabernacle, between the tabernacle and the altar, and to fill it with water. In the time of the tabernacle, people had to ceremonially clean themselves before they could enter the presence of the Lord. And we do appreciate people taking showers before they would enter into the worship space, but there's never a bouncer at the door sniffing armpits or anything. Jesus welcomes people as they are, especially if you're having pajama worship at home. Maybe your cleanup time comes later. Maybe it doesn't. That's your business. But now we have a baptismal bowl or font today. We don't need to be baptized every time we enter into the presence of the Lord. God marks us with the promise of his never-ending love, and we are inducted into his family through baptism once for all time. God keeps that promise over us. Without the benefit of our baptismal font, we're going to spend some time, we're going to spend some time remembering that gift a little bit later. And then Moses was instructed to take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all of its furnishings and to consecrate them, to make them holy. So Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. 
So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month of the second year. The tabernacle of Moses' time gave way to the temple of Jerusalem in Solomon's era with the same layout and the same furnishings. The temple was destroyed in 522 B.C. and rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah. From the uniquely Christian viewpoint, the tabernacle was built and designed for a season and a reason. It was holy, and its contents were holy, but the Lord of creation didn't exist to serve the tent. The tent was a valuable and set-apart channel for serving God. So, what do worship furnishings from thousands of years ago have to do with us today? Our third lesson is this. We remember for the purpose of living into a faithful future. We remember for the purpose of living into the faithful future. Celebration of Hanukkah dates back to 167 BC when the Seleucid Empire destroyed the temple furnishings and set up a shrine to Zeus. And there was a revolt to reclaim the Hebrew heritage of worship. There are claims of a miracle that allowed one day of oil to work through eight evenings so that the temple furnishings could be rebuilt and rededicated. Closer to the era of the birth of Jesus, Herod once again rebuilt the temple, and in 70 AD, after the resurrection of Jesus, the temple was destroyed by the Roman Empire when the Jewish people of Jerusalem were revolting. The temple has been torn down, and all that remains of that once wonder of the world is the western wall, and the mount on top of it is now home to the sacred Islamic worship site, the Dome of the Rock, first built in 691. What I'm saying is if our relationship with God depends on furnishings, then we'd be in a lot of trouble. Those structures and those furnishings are gone. Possibly they're in a storehouse in Washington, D.C. somewhere, if Indiana Jones is to be believed. People could only look back and not focus on what God is doing or will do. How many of our disappointments are based on looking for the missing furniture in our lives? There are real griefs that we've suffered. But maybe 2020 was difficult for you because you lost a a habit or pattern that was familiar. Maybe something changed and it was tough to deal with because you were looking for the familiar thing that was gone instead of trying to identify the grace and blessing that is still present. Some people are very uncomfortable with changes because our eyes are always on what's missing and not the God who is present with us and leading us into a future that the Holy Spirit knows well. What is God doing in your life today? What seeds of future grace is Jesus planting in your life right now? You may not know the outcomes, but be assured that God is working to bring about good for all those who love him. I I don't want us to miss this very important part at the end of this chapter. Verse 34 After all the preparations had been done, it says that the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. The presence of the Lord filled that space. The glory of the Lord entered that space, but then it would move the people forward. Imagine if the people stuck around with the tent and the furniture when the Spirit of the Lord had moved on. 
What they'd be doing would no longer be the worship of God, they'd be worshiping the tools meant to point to God. In an effort to remember, they would find their future with God forgotten. This is part of what we get to do with the new year. As 2021 gets off to a start, we can look back and celebrate what God has done, but we don't have to live there. Let's follow God in faithfulness and keep our eyes on what Jesus is doing. And as part of our love feast today, we're going to offer a commitment to a faithful God that we might do just that. This Covenant time is something that is rich in our tradition and often in churches done towards the beginning of the year. And so we're going to uh, have a time of invitation. We'll share together in a confession. We will offer our covenant before the Lord, and then we'll have a chance to share in our love feast. And so if you have your something to eat and something to drink handy, this would be a good time to be able to call that up. We are those who seek to live as true disciples of Jesus Christ, but sometimes we fall short. So let us now examine ourselves before God, humbly confessing our sins and submitting our hearts so that we do not deceive ourselves or cut ourselves away from God. I invite you to join me in prayer. Loving God, you have set forth the way of life through your Son, Jesus Christ. We confess that we have been slow to learn of him and slow to follow. We have not responded to your call. We have accepted your gifts and offered little thanks. We have fallen short in the face of your unchanging love. Open our eyes and reform our spirits to live more fully for you. Forgive us of our sins and free us for joyful obedience. The God of all mercy is faithful to cleanse us of our sins and restore us to Christ's image. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us now in covenant commit ourselves to Christ as his servants. Let us give ourselves to him so that we might fully belong to him. Jesus Christ has left us with many services to be done. Some of these services are easy and honorable, but some are difficult and disgraceful. Some line up with our desires and interests, and others are contrary to both. In some, we please both Christ and ourselves, but then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. And so we offer to Christ now this prayer that we share together. I am not my own. I am yours alone. Make me into what you will. Rank me with those you will. Put me to use for you. Put me to suffering for you. Let me be employed for you. Let me be laid aside for you. Let me be lifted high for you. Let me be brought low for you. Let me be full or let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. With a willing heart, I freely give everything to your pleasure and disposal. And now, mighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are yours and you are ours. May the covenant we make today be ratified in eternity. In your name we pray. Amen. Each person now would have something to eat and something to drink. We're going to take an opportunity before we would eat what we have to eat to offer a word of thanks to the Lord. And then if we're with other people, we'll give them an opportunity to share their word of gratitude as well. And for my part, I'm grateful for the start of the new year. And even though our furniture has been greatly rearranged over the course of this past year, Jesus Christ remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now it's your turn. Let's share in this holy meal together.